Well, I made it back from Iceland once again. Question show time. Your questions, my answers. As always, wherever you are on my channel, if a question pops into your brain, just type it in. I'll gather them up and answer them right here. Stick around. we got a special guest answerer at the end, so let's get into it. Jason Murphy. Just wanted to say thanks for all the effort you put into your videos, podcasts, and general outreach. I look forward to your videos each day. One question, when is the Weekly Space Hangout returning, or is it? The Weekly Space Hangout never went anywhere. We just set up its own channel and are posting the videos over there. Uh, Morgan Renberg and Kimberly Cartier and Paul Sutter have joined me as permanent co-hosts for the show, and every week we round up all of the big space news that's happening, bring in special guests, people from NASA, astronauts, and interview them, and it's a great time. So if you're into sort of like what current space news is happening, check that out. I'll put a card here, I'll put a, a link in the end, I'll put a link in the show notes, I'll broadcast it into your dreams, and uh, you should go and make sure you subscribe over on the Weekly Space Hangout channel, and you'll get that every week as well tons of content. Also, there's a podcast, and I don't know about you, but I like to receive my knowledge via podcast, so you can do a search for the Weekly Space Hangout wherever good podcasts are found, and you'll be able to get it. Also, you can get this show as a podcast as well, both a video podcast or an audio podcast, so if you don't want to have to come and watch it on YouTube and you just want to listen to it while you walk, you can do that too. Very convenient. Asim Source. NASA should work with SpaceX. Seems like a huge waste since reusable tech has proven at this point. All right, we're going to go into a whole bunch of comments that people made after I talked about the RS-25 engine and it happened, sort of the timing of that was just as the Falcon Heavy was taking off. And I got a pile of comments very similar to this. And I'll, and there's some more questions I'll get into those in a second. So, just, you know, SpaceX, their biggest customer is NASA, right? So NASA has signed up to buy rockets from SpaceX. The Dragon capsules that carry cargo up to the International Space Station, many those are done by SpaceX. NASA pays for them. Other science missions have been done and are being queued up to be done on SpaceX rockets. You can bet that now that the first Falcon Heavy launch has gone off, NASA's gonna be signing up for Falcon Heavy missions. Really, I've talked to a bunch of people at NASA, and sort of one of the really interesting things here is that at $90 million a launch with the Falcon Heavy, that is a factor of you know five cheaper than some of the other rockets that are out there. And so for people who work at NASA, that allows them to pretty much get double the science done. They can pretty much do two science missions instead of one science mission. So to say that that you know NASA's missed the boat and doesn't know what's going on, like SpaceX probably wouldn't be doing what it's doing if NASA wasn't there to be its to be its biggest customer. So I think it's it's just really important to sort of understand that that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Now the Falcon Heavy has launched. The you can bet that NASA and the other space agencies are going to buy flights on the Falcon Heavy. And then when the the BFR arrives, you can bet that NASA and other space agencies are going to buy flights on that on that. So I think it's it's not like NASA has any problem with SpaceX. They would love to be able to buy as many inexpensive flights to space as they can. And SpaceX is demonstrating that these are possible. Mojo Waters. I love your views on NASA. I worked on the shuttle program at KSC for 25 years. And I don't truly like it when people hate on NASA. People forget the amazing things NASA has pioneered and the amazement in people's eyes when they watch the shuttle launch. I believe once NASA starts sending up our astronauts 
the public will begin supporting NASA again. People right now are so obsessed and fixated on the prices the companies are paying for launches when NASA doesn't just launch, they pioneer cutting edge and risky technology. That is awesome that you worked at the Kennedy Space Center for 25 years. Thank you so much for your contribution to space exploration. That's that's amazing. And I know m me and you know many of the people on this channel, we all appreciate uh, what you did. I can see why you're frustrated that people are frustrated at NASA or, or have a lot of kind of grief to give to NASA, especially when you see these wondrous things like the Falcon Heavy launch. It's like, it's a lot of the accomplishments that NASA made with the space shuttle, with the Apollo program, with the Gemini program, humans on the moon, and then all of the other advances in, in materials and uh, robotic exploration of the, of the solar system. I mean, there's so many things that NASA has done. And the amount of the budget, of the U.S. budget, that is dedicated to NASA is about one-half of one percent. So the total amount of budget is, is actually very small relative to, say, the military budget and, and, and social services and things like that in the United States. It must come from some like sense of kind of like excitement, but also frustration and people wanting to try and kind of get the best bang for the buck. And so when you look at the fact that the the, the SLS is going to be costing 500 million to a billion dollars a launch, while SpaceX, for example, the Falcon Heavy is going to be 90 million to 150 million to 250 million per launch, like there's significant cost savings. And so I can I can kind of understand why people are frustrated. And I, the where where I stand on this really is that that the commercial space industry's job is to turn access to space into this this commodity. That if you want to launch space, there's going to be a bunch of companies: SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic. Who knows who's going to be out there? And you're going to be able to to compete, price shop around. If you've got a small rocket, you can go with an Electron. If you've got a big payload, you may be only able to use a BFR. There's going to be all these options. And that NASA's purpose is really to help continue to break ground, to work on the new projects, the kinds of uncertainty that commercial companies just can't dedicate the resources to because they need to remain profitable. And I think that the, the SLS is this sort of perfect example of where NASA has sort of remained a little too long in the sort of into, in moving into the commercial launch area. But, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, like that's understandable because heavy lift rockets, as heavy as the Falcon Heavy, 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 didn't exist a month ago, right? Like, you know, and it is five years later than SpaceX was telling everyone that it was going to be arriving. So it's not surprising that NASA didn't wait to to launch, you know, they, they kept building the SLS because that was the way they were moving and that's what they had and that's the technology. There are thousands and thousands of people who worked on the space shuttles and now they're going to work on, and now they're working on the SLS. There's a much bigger issue that's kind of coming down the pike when the BFR shows up and it's able to launch really super heavy payloads into space heavier than the than even the the SLS what at, for a fraction of the price what then 
And I think that is going to be the bigger kind of existential crisis that NASA is going to have to deal with. And the last thing is that it's not NASA's fault, right? That that we've done videos about this before. That that there is a political system that is that is shifting back and forth, that is changing priorities, that is rewriting, cutting budgets, and really making it very difficult for people who work at NASA to have a long-term, consistent goal that they can they can reach. I would be super frustrated if, if every couple of years everything that I've been working on got scrapped because for political reasons the new administration wanted to change where everything was going. So again, thank you for your work on the, on the, at Kennedy Space Center and here's to a great future of space exploration for NASA and for SpaceX and for all the others. Luke Renieri, wonderfully done as always. I'm a big fan of SpaceX and also Robert Zubrin's works, and increasingly skeptical of SLS's prospects. Do you think there's a valuable argument for defunding SLS and directing those funds to BFR as a partnership program? Would SpaceX be able to prepare BFR faster with much more money? SpaceX is is kind of already getting money from NASA. I mentioned that earlier, that, that SpaceX is... You know, their biggest customer is NASA. They buy the, the Dragon capsules. They're doing scientific payloads. They're setting up to be able to send astronauts to the International Space Station. A lot of money is going from NASA to SpaceX. And that money has been invested in things like the Falcon Heavy and is now being invested in the BFR. And so I don't know whether, I mean, I'm sure SpaceX would appreciate like a bigger investment from NASA. But I think if I was Elon Musk, I would be trying to build and grow SpaceX mainly on the cash flow and investments coming in from the various commercial partners. It's a very, it's a very robust way to grow your rocket ship company as opposed to depending on, again, this, you know, what if a new administration comes in and they decide that they want to build their own rocket system again and they cut the funding for the BFR and then SpaceX can't continue the development of that rocket ship. So it makes more sense for them to try and bootstrap up their rocket systems through cash flow and not be dependent on some outside firm. And I think this is how we got to this problem in the first place, where where everyone is waiting for someone else to get this done and then nothing ever happens. I don't think that NASA will or should cancel the SLS right now. The Falcon Heavy was a very serious and very significant demonstration that there there is a very powerful reusable launch rocket that's now available but when you compare them you know the Falcon Heavy uh, in its reusable mode I think can only loft 30 tons metric tons and in its, in its expendable mode it can do 64 tons while the the SLS in its block one configuration is going to be able to do 70 tons and in its block two configuration will be able to do 130 tons. So the so the, the SLS is still a significantly more powerful rocket even than the Falcon Heavy. The BFR rewrites all the rules, right? It's going to be more powerful than the Falcon Heavy, more powerful than than the the SLS for a fraction of the price. And at that point if if these things are flying and they're la- launching payloads and they're returning to Earth and it's all working, then I think NASA would have a really hard time justifying to continue the development of the space launch system. But the question is, like, do you, you know, we've seen that the Falcon Heavy has taken years longer to develop than anyone was expecting. SpaceX says they're going to launch the, the BFR. They're going to start tests with the BFR of the spaceship part maybe next year. 
when's it really going to come together? Is it going to take five years later? Is it going to take ten years later? Does NASA fire their entire workforce and then just wait for SpaceX to to get these rockets flying? Like, I think that that when the BFRs are flying, when it's clear that, that the prices are what Musk was saying, when the hype is over and the reality has arrived, then I think it's then it's time to to retire the space launch system and move to buying flights on the BFR. And I wouldn't do it before then, if I was running NASA. Brian Bagnell. They should cancel SLS immediately. Such a waste of resources, totally redundant and inefficient compared to SpaceX. That's not true. The SLS is a much heavier lift vehicle than even the Falcon Heavy. So if you want to launch these gigantic payloads, if you want to do the Europa Clipper, if you want to send the the EM-1 mission that's going to have humans go out to lunar orbit, you need a heavier lift vehicle. And that right now is the SLS. When the BFR arrives, when the tests are done, when the prices are available, when NASA can afford, when NASA can put their cargo into these BFRs, that's when I think SLS should be canceled. Chad Baptiste. I've been watching The Expanse recently, and despite its obvious magnitude brilliance, something dawned on me. Would the constellations still be the same based on our orientation in the solar system? Say, for example, would Orion still be Orion when viewed from Ganymede as it would from Vancouver? I love The Expanse. I think I think The Expanse is my favorite science fiction television show. I'm sorry, Star Trek. I'm sorry, Carla. Yeah, she's just like, no. But she likes The Expanse, too, so... Um, but would, if you went out to Ganymede, would the constellations look any different? No, they wouldn't look any different. They would look, from your eye, essentially exactly the same. But astronomers do use a technique that's kind of like that to be able to determine how far away stars are. So when astronomers look up into the sky when see, in one season, say in the summertime, and they can measure the angle to a star, and then six months later, when the Earth is on the other side of the sun, they measure the angle to that same star. And they can measure these stars, or a foreground object, moving a little bit, just a little bit back and forth. And so you can see that little, little bit sideways motion, and that tells you sort of how you can measure the distance to how far away that star is. Now, if you went to Alpha Centauri, the constellations would look roughly the same. If you went a couple of hundred light years away, the, con- the constellations would look roughly the same. Some would start to look a little weird. And if you went you know, thousands of light years away, then the constellations in the sky would start to look pretty pretty messed up. But for anywhere here in the solar system, the constellations will look exactly the same to, to your human eye, wherever you went. Another Iceland. Big rockets are exciting, but I can't stop thinking about the amount of pollution these high rockets dump into the atmosphere. What's your take about that? Yeah, rock, some of the rockets, I mean, it depends on the kind of fuel that the rockets are using. And some of them, and you can really see, like when you see some of these launches of some of these rockets, when you saw that RS-25 burn la- in the last episode that I did, it's firing out, you know, hydrogen and oxygen. They're mixing together. The output is water vapor. It's, it's a very clean rocket system. But when you see, say, the solid rocket boosters, they put out like just ugh, these white clouds of stuff, uh, or the kerosene engines that the that the SpaceX use. I mean, there's a lot of particulates that are coming out. When you compare the amount of of pollution that's coming out of rockets compared to airplanes or cars or things like that, it's a fraction. But you can imagine some future 
there will be more and more pollution that's created and it will eventually be a problem. This is one of the reasons why the BFR from SpaceX is so exciting is because it's going to be using methane and one of the things it'll be able to do is you'll have they'll have a plant a solar powered plant that will bring in water pull out carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere you know perform some chemistry on them and create methane as a fuel which is a perfectly good rocket fuel and so it'll be carbon neutral which is really exciting for a rocket that's going to be generating this much you know gas <laughs> and you know using of this much fuel for it to be carbon neutral is a is a really great idea and so that's why i think hopefully in the future most of the rockets will be you know either liquid oxygen hydrogen or this liquid methane that will then be carbon neutral michael gusevsky how do you find questions do you look for question marks i read all the comments all the comments on every video there's youtube's got a handy way so you can see all the new comments have come in and i when I'm working on my question show, I just go through the questions, or as I sort of as I'm answering questions, and I also like to answer the questions. So you'll see, I I try to answer literally as many questions as I am physically capable of doing. So if you have a question, just wherever you know, this, you should watch any and all of the videos, and wherever you see one, question pops in your mind, just write it down, and I will I'll see it. I see everything. Benjamin Lefebvre, why is Mars Insight launching from Vandenberg? Mars Insight is the next mission that NASA is going to be sending to Mars. It's going to be launching in May 2018, and it's going to be going there, it's going to be landing, and it's going to be essentially trying to figure out what's inside Mars. It's going to be, be able to detect the, the movements of the planet, it's going to be able to um, get, find like geological information, and uh, so why is it going to be launching from Vandenberg, which is on the west coast, just outside of Los Angeles? From what I understand, it's because it has to launch on an Atlas rocket and the the East Coast launches of Atlas are filled up and so they queued it for a West Coast one. This what's great is that when these you know remember the SpaceX launch that happened a couple of months ago over Los Angeles, people freaked out because there was this incredible trail from this rocket in the sky. And hopefully by the time you're seeing this, there will have been another one from another SpaceX launch that went out of, out of Vandenberg. And again, if you're on the West Coast and you're kind of, you know, and you know when these launches are going to happen, go watch a launch. Go watch a launch from Vandenberg. And uh, it's awesome. Jax. How come the two Voyagers are still alive and functioning and aren't broken because of the temperature making them very cold? They could freeze and start icing as they move very fast, they could break. The Voyager spacecraft and a bunch of the NASA missions are powered by a chunk of plutonium that is uh, decaying and turning into other elements and gives off a tremendous amount of heat. Now they use that for electricity, but they also use that to just keep the spacecraft warm. And it, do you remember The Martian? Remember if you saw the movie The Martian, and at one point Matt Damon goes and he digs up this, this, this sort of cylinder that's really, really hot, and he uses it to keep the the vehicle that he's driving around in warm. That is the same kind of nuclear battery that is on board the Voyager spacecraft, it's on board the New Horizons spacecraft, there's one on Curiosity, and they put off a lot of heat and they keep the spacecraft warm. It is a big problem. Spacecraft can't get cold. If they get too cold, then they die. And so they need to have some way to keep themselves warm. Irritable John syndrome. What happens to white dwarfs when they burn out? Do they become a gas giant or a planet? Do they fade into a brown dwarf? 
When a star like our sun dies, it grows up, becomes a red giant star, and then it compresses back down and becomes a white dwarf. It's essentially dead. And then over the next forever, it cools down till it eventually becomes the background temperature of the universe. So just a couple of degrees above absolute zero. And the term that astronomers have for this is a black dwarf. So I guess it's a white dwarf, but it is cooled down so that it is completely black. And there are none yet. The universe just isn't old enough for, there to, for any of these white dwarfs to have completely cooled down. But in the far, far future, billions, trillions, trillions, quadrillions of years, you will have all of the white dwarfs will have cooled down to become these black dwarfs. BBF09. So gravitational waves are confirmed real now, and they carry and radiate away energy. Lots of it. So if you can whirl or oscillate black holes, it must radiate energy away, and by mass energy equivalence, that must mean that the mass must come from the black hole. That is a great question, but I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to let a guest answerer, Emma Osborne from the University of Southampton, to answer it. Emma's got her own YouTube channel. You should totally check it out. And the best part is that she does these great chalk drawings on blackboards of the sort of the physics involved in the various things that she's lecturing about. She also has a great Instagram channel and I'll link all those things up here and in the show notes and you should definitely follow her to find out more information about physics, specifically gravitational waves, black holes, things like that. All right, take it away, Emma. Hiya, this is an excellent question and thank you very much for asking it. But actually, it's a little bit of a trick question because the black holes, as they're colliding, they can't release mass in the form of gravitational waves. And that's because the mass itself would have to travel faster than the speed of light to leave the singularity and escape the event horizon. What's actually happening is the two black holes, as they orbit each other, they're experiencing the gravitational field of the other black hole. So each black hole is held in the gravitational potential energy of the black hole it's orbiting. So the further away the black holes are from each other, the greater the gravitational potential energy there is between them. And as they orbit towards each other, they lose energy in the form of gravitational waves, which causes them to move closer. The energy they're losing is actually the gravitational potential energy. And the strength of this energy depends on the distance between them. So the closer they are, the more they release. Now, because we're talking about black holes whose gravitational fields are incredibly strong, when they get really close, they use a tremendous amount of energy. Because energy has mass, which we know from the equation E equals mc squared, it's easier to quantify how much energy is being lost by considering it as a mass. And that's why when the first two black holes that collided that was detected, they lost the equivalent of three masses of the sun. So I hope that answers your question. All right, thanks, Emma, for answering that question. Again, way beyond my pay grade, so it's great to, uh, to have someone jump in and guest answer. That wraps up our question show. As always, wherever you are on my channel, if you have a question, just type it in, and I will gather them up, and I'll answer them here. I'll see you next week.